Today's podcast is brought to you by Fish Window Cleaning, the largest professional window cleaning company in the country. With over 200 locally owned and operated franchises, you are sure to be able to find an office near you where they can help you brighten your world at work or at home. For professional window cleaning at residential or commercial properties, look up Fish Window Cleaning at fishwindowcleaning.com. Josh and I am Alyssa and we are back and live in studio with today's episode of the podcast is on fire and it wasn't my fault a read-along pod where we dig into the good the great and the problematic of the Dresden file series by Jim Butcher I've read all the novels Alyssa has not and we're here to finish off Grave Peril, book three of the Dresden Files series, released in the year 2001. And we are finished up with the last five chapters, chapters, what, 35 through 39, mm-hmm. thereabouts. Mm-hmm. First off, how you doing today? I'm doing all right. Haven't seen her face since Christmas, and here we are, recording in the same room. Shining and smiling and sharing spaces like we do. As per Yosh. Oh, goodness gracious. What a day to be alive. Are We are way too close to each other uh, as far as just like human interaction, certainly. But also, our microphones are probably going to pick each other up. Well, this may be a failed experiment. But what an experiment it was. Yes. And that's the thing where it's just, we're, this is an experiment. We're trying things out. It's every great discovery it comes on the feet in the back of many failed experiments you had no idea how you were going to finish that sentence no, no i didn't i really did i kind of just went i really just kind of went with it it's pretty great <laughs> oh goodness gracious welcome to how my brain works <laughs> just meanders through and eventually ends up in an okay place we hope sometimes sometimes you know Fair enough Oh, you want to set the scene here before I dig into chapter 35? All right. So we have our quirky hero here in a basement or laundry room. That's right. He's in a laundry room and the laundry has started moving. And <laughs> which we find out is Susan. And Susan has been turned by the red court. Yeah. So we we had Susan look out. From the pile of laundry, basically, with large black eyes all the way through, which means that she is in the process of becoming a red port vampire. And that is not ideal. And she still doesn't really remember where she's at. If we'll recall, she finished the last chapter with a Mr. Dresden, which means that they're not, she still doesn't have her memories. And so we start out chapter 35, we get a little bit more lore on the red court. We understand how the change happens. Justine explains it, that she, there's nothing we can do right now. She isn't herself, but until she kills, she's not all the way gone. So right now she's in kind of a transient state and she's thirsty. She's hungry. She has this need and eventually she is going to kill 
Mm-hmm. She's going to lose control of the hunger, basically, and she's going to kill someone. And when she does, she'll be entirely one of the Red Court. So right now, and he clarifies, so she's still Susan. Well, sort of, Justine says. Mm-hmm. And he tries to see, you know, he tries to rationalize as Harry tends to do. He says, if I talk to her, you know, get her through it, could we snap her out of it? Justine tells him, never heard of it happening, but I'm a crazy girl and I have no clue what's going on around me. So why would I be the expert? And this is, it gets kind of dark here where he says, there's got to be something. And Justine says, kill her. She's still weak. Maybe, maybe we could together. If we wait till she's further gone, until the hunger gives her strength, she'll take us both. That's why we're in here. It's just, yeah, Bianca, for all her faults, is a very good villain. <laughs> she knows. She's a very good what? Villain. Oh, she yeah. Knows. She's also a planner. Yeah, she really is. She plots and plans. She is an endgame kind of girl, which is terrifying. Yeah, not the type of enemy you want to have. Were you a budding wizard PI in Chicago? <laughs> Facts. Justine gets the thought that he's not sure if it makes if it w- is warm or angry, but the thought is, well, then maybe when she drinks you, she'll die of the poison. <laughs> that's her good. That's <laughs> Justine's good news. It's a blessing and a curse. She is. Susan's licking the towel with a little bit of blood spatter on it, which is. Yeah. Gross. gross on so many ways. Just a lot of grossness. <laughs> he ends up looking kind of deeply into her deep black eyes, and he doesn't want to get caught up in them because vampires tend to have some sort of psychic power with their gaze. But also, it makes him think about a soul gaze. <laughs> Specifically, the soul gaze that he himself and Susan have already shared. Which, as we know, a soul gaze is connected with the sight. And anything you see with the sight or in a soul gaze is indelible. It does not go away. Meaning, even when a very powerful fairy lady decides to take a bunch of your memories of someone, they should not be able to affect anything seen by the sight. And he and Susan have soul gaze. Which means that those memories aren't gone. They're simply covered. Leah did something to protect those memories from Susan, not allowing her to recall them. But they're there. You cannot get rid of something seen in a soul gaze or with the sight. And why is that? I was trying to understand why. Is it just magical rules? Or is it because there's some sort of deeper connection in that moment? I think it's mostly just kind of the lore. It's one of those, you know, as we've talked about in the past, why doesn't he use his sight all the time? I think it's one of those power caps. It's yeah. a reason for him to not use the sight all the time is because it is overwhelming and terrifying. You know, even, even the beautiful stuff, you know, when you see too much of it, it'll, he says it'll make you crazy. But that's a very good question. I, I think really when you tie it into the soul gazes, it just adds import to the soul and the soul gaze, which I think is okay. kind of the message there. Um, my, you know, I had this whole question concern regarding that. Like, does it take part of his soul, or is there like an exchange of? Because obviously, there's an exchange of memories and exchange of internal elements. But is there like an exchange of 
possession of the soul sort of thing. Oh, that's a really good question. Because uh, we find out later in the series that you, the soul is a finite resource, for lack oh. of a better term. Um, okay. And not to say that it... Yeah, I don't want to get too deep into the lore on that front, but just that you can spend it and it comes back, but okay. it's, you know, you, you basically... But it's like his magic. Yeah, exactly. It needs to regenerate. Probably... Probably not almost exactly, probably exactly exactly. Okay. I would guess those are really closely connected. But yeah, so there is maybe an exchange. That could be there's an exchange right there. That would actually. And that's why he can't, she can't lose it because it's not part of her for Leah to take. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder. It's just, that was just sort of one of those. I was, I went on a walk yesterday and was listening to the chapters and I was like, here. That's like yeah, a, I, I really like that angle. That's that's really interesting. I mean, I, I don't know how to put it into words quite like fr- quite transactional. yet. Yeah, something transactional. Yeah, that's very interesting. I like that idea a lot. I don't know. I, I certainly am not an expert enough to say that it's accurate or not, but it's it's certainly interesting, and I really like it. I just thought it was that was sort of a ponderance. I have a couple of questions like that throughout the, throughout this book. I have, and I've got a couple for this. Uh, Oh no, that's that's why I keep coming back to this pod. I don't know about anybody else. But, oh, good. <laughs> but I love shit like that. That's great. Uh, all those years analyzing plays. <laughs> but it was just yeah, that was my that was my thought with that was that it was a transactional thing, and, and the reason Leah couldn't take it from her mm-hmm. was because it wasn't hers to take, and it wasn't Susan's to lose. Yeah, no, that's that's a very interesting way to think about it, and I'm not sure, but um, certainly. Hey, you know, the thinkers done thinking. <laughs> Absolutely, that might be my most brilliant thought of the day. Just warning y'all. <laughs> really, it's uh, not saying much, but it's a low bar, low bar to cross. But we'll, we'll go from there. <laughs> so to try to get Susan out of the foggy memory block, he starts to use her name, mm-hmm. Susan. Susan Rodriguez, Susan, very forcefully forcing that part of it. Um, And you see her kind of shiver as she gets named. And he does kind of tries to connect their bodies physically. He wraps her hair around his hand and closes. That's that's part of a spell, isn't it? Yes and no. I mean, it, it is. I mean, def, definitionally, the answer to your question is yes. Okay. But it's not a specific step gotcha. in a spell checklist, I don't think. My understanding is okay. he's just trying to get them close together. So he licks his hand and then he touches her. So there's like his spit, her hair, and they just have a connection. And so he's trying to break Godmother's spell, but it's not like, you know, you have to wave the wand yeah, flick and flick and swoosh and leviosa. It's yeah. more just he wants them to be connected as he pours some will into this, and that connection will help, hopefully, help her feel the tug away yeah. from the mind fog, basically. And it's kind of like a connection to him. The other thing I was thinking when I was listening to it is the way Marster says the name Susan Susan Rodson Krieger's. It's just funny. Yeah, his U is weird, but he definitely hammers on it hard. Again, I I have no problem, except that later he calls Kravos a spell slinger as opposed to a spell slinger, and it hurts me. You're not allowed to say things correctly when you say it wrong once, and I hammer on it because I'm a bozo. Um, 
So as they're kind of wrapped up together, she thinks, oh, hey, there's a neck right here. So she grabs him and tries to bite through his neck. And he gets a little bit of the vampire venom narcotic numbness there, <laughs> which is just all sorts of ugh. all sorts of ugh. not ick, but ugh. <laughs> it's a very re- related. I see Lissy's the wordsmith in the family. OK, <laughs> but he ends up, you know, just trying to break the spell, saying he didn't want to let her down and all these things. And there's. She starts to kind of maybe go with it, and then she fades back away and wants to just chew his neck off. And he says, I love you. Which is a great kind of full circle completion of the conversation we had in what was that, chapter three or four, when Harry and Michael are driving to Cook County. And... Michael forces Harry to say it out loud that he loves her and he wants him to say it to Susan. And he doesn't throughout the novel. You know, he had a couple opportunities and didn't, and they clearly kind of grew apart over the course of this novel, the action of the story here. And it's just a great kind of closing that loop all the way back from the first, you know, kind of sequence. And he says, why it worked then, why the webbing of Godmother's spell frayed as though the words had been in open flame, I don't know. I haven't found any explanation. There aren't any magical words, really. The words just hold magic. They give it a shape and a form. They make it useful. Describe the images within. I love that. Oh, it's great. I have it highlighted uh, too. <laughs> and I'll say this though. Some words have a power that has nothing to do with supernatural forces. They resound in the heart, mind. They live long after the sounds of them have died away. They echo in the heart and the soul. They have power. And that power is very real. And all I can think about is the song. Little the power of love. Little bit of Huey Lewis. Um, um, and the news. Don't forget the news. the news. That's true. It's true. Or, you know, just maybe it's a Back to the Future moment. Oh, yeah. I was thinking Back to the Future as well. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I read that and I wrote down Power of Love. And then I say, Power of Love. Um, don't sue us, sure. Huey. Uh, don't sue us, Huey, Huey Lewis or the news. Uh. <laughs> yeah so uh just great and um i just love that kind of the i say juxtaposition all the time but it's more like the intersection of magic as he believes it and magic kind of as michael believes it and just they kind of come together there with there is power in the human interaction there's power in people interacting with each other and caring about each other and it's more than just you know the way he thinks of magic is kind of this creative power of the universe this it's the intermingling of that faith magic that and that the i guess you could say secular magic of harry (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) even though this isn't this isn't a religious faith kind of thing but it's it it just it feels it feels similar to to the way but michael's perspective 
Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of that, for me at least, is because of the, this is a direct callback to that conversation sure. with Michael. Michael knows how powerful those three words are. Yes. And when, the, you know, it, it's just a really cool intersection there of, like you said, just <laughs> kind of secular and the, the, uh, the, the man of faith, man of science kind of yeah. debate. Um, that, or alchemy, let's be honest. Sure. <laughs> the entire run of Lost was back and forth between men of science and men of faith interesting i hear that that battle it just makes me think of that show mm -hmm. which is another podcast we'll get to one of these days put that on the list did you ever watch some of it yeah very very misunderstood show and unfortunately also a very well understood show for some people <laughs> uh so uh, her the dichotomy of life exactly so susan's eyes are back to susan's eyes and she kind of starts, she remembers him. She tells him how much she wants to, you know, rip his throat out, basically. And he says, I'm sorry. And she, you know, she tells him to say it again. It helps. He says, I love you. And she acts, she jerks as though she's been punched in the stomach. Um, just kind of reminding her that she's still human, basically. And still, there's still a fight worth fighting here. And but it's that. We previously we mentioned that the power of of will and emotion and like how charities charities faith magic is in, is wrapped in love, and that this is just that same sort of power that same sort of magic is that the strength of love. Oh yeah, and I, I mean I've I've mentioned this phrase the sort of love before, but I mean if you are anything of a student of Latin roots, Amarachius is the sort of love. We know there's three swords. That's not a spoiler, but there's three swords. The sword of faith, the sword of hope, and the sword of love, which is a reference to a Bible verse. And these three remain faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love, which if you've ever been to a Catholic wedding, you've probably heard as one of the readings. It's always that one or the love is patient, love is kind one. But I digress. And so love is super important to Michael and Charity, their whole family. Obviously, love is important. They're married and they have a billion kids. Of course, love is important. But um, more so than, you know, typical small L love, the capital L love and the power therein. It just is very much connected with this whole story is about love from start to finish. It's a love story with some vampires sprinkled in and it ends tragically, obviously. I mean, I think it's important. I think that's a, it's a, the power of love and how important it is in this universe is very important. And it's very significant, so much so that it brings her back to the precipice. Absolutely. Now they start trying to figure out the nuts and bolts of, we're still in this goddamn laundry room and we got to figure out how to get out of here. She says, you know, can you even walk? He's like, I don't know. That last spell took a lot out of me. And she said, well, what if you slept for a little bit? He said, well, then Kravos would torture me. He's like, uh, that's it. Well, I need Kravos to torture me. Um, the more I thought about it, the crazier it sounded. But it might work if I could time it just right. And uh, he basically decides that he's going to go to sleep long enough to start dreaming so that Kravos, and then Susan says, but Kravos will get inside you. He'll kill you. And Harry says, yeah, I'm pretty much counting. <laughs> Um, the one thing I 
the one note I want to make about that chapter is that Susan is still trying to save him. And I, I liked that. I just liked that because he is always trying to save everybody, but Susan also tries to help him, tries to save him. And this is a perfect example of Susan is trying to save him. Again. Oh yeah. They, they really are such a great couple. Like they they are perfect for each other. They're a good pair. Yeah. So Harry wakes up and we're in his dreamscape and it's my nightmares came quickly. Dull cloud of poisonous confusion, blurring my senses. A dull cloud of poisonous confusion, blurring my senses, distorting my perceptions. For a moment, I was hanging by one wrist over an inferno of fire, smoke, and horrible creatures. The steel of the handcuffs suspending me, cutting into my flesh, drawing blood. Smoke smothered me, forced me to cough, and my vision blurred as I started to fade out. Holy shit, I just realized that this is from Stormfront. He's hanging over the balcony in an inferno of fire, smoke, and horrible creatures. The the German shepherd-sized scorpions. Oh. And the steel of the handcuff. No way, that's awesome. Sorry, I literally, I'm midway through reading this, and I was like, oh, shit. Okay, anyway, going on. This changes my perspective of this completely. Then I was in a new place. In the dark. Cold stone chilled me where I lay upon it. All around me were the whispers of things moving in the shadows. Scaly rasps, soft, hungry hisses together with the gleam of malevolent eyes. My heart pounded in my throat. There you are, whispered one of the voices. I watched them have you, you know. I sat up, shivering violently. Yeah, well, that's why they call them monsters. It's what they do. They enjoyed it, came the whispering voice. If only I could have videoed TV will rot your brain, Kravos, I said. And Kravos hits, hits him in the face. And it, we learned that you can't get knocked unconscious in a dream. Jokes, the voice hissed. Jokes will not save you now. How's bells, Kravos, I muttered, sitting up again. Do they produce a cliched lines textbook for villains or something? Go for broke. Tell me that since you're going to kill me anyway, you might as well reveal your secret plan. <laughs> they just enjoy us. Um, Kravis knocks him again. But then he sees uh, some misty shapes of shadow demons. He sees his own face. He sees Justine and Lydia. And so it's like, in, in, my, in my initial idea of this was that he's in hell. But then he sees these faces. But that realization that that first nightmare wasn't hell. It was the house in Stormfront really changes kind of my perspective of this chapter. I'm flying by the seat of my pants right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, shit. Uh, and so Kravos is beating his face and he says, where are your jibes now, wizards? Kravos snarls. Where are your jokes? Weak, weak, petty, self-righteous fool. We are going to have a very good time together until Bianca comes to finish you. You think so, is it? <laughs> you think so? Sure. It's our first date. Maybe we should take this one step at a time. You aren't funny. You are going to die. You can't treat this as a joke. Why not? I shot back. Kravos, I took you out with a piece of chalk and a Kindle. You're the biggest joke of a spell slinger I've ever seen. 
even I didn't expect you to drop like that. Maybe the link <laughs> with that doll worked so well because it was anatomically cur. I didn't get a chance to finish the sentence. <laughs> so again, Harry is in a moment of peril and using jokes and insults. And I love it. Then we learn, we get a little bit of insight into how Harry sees himself and the inner workings of Harry's soul. At least this is my perspective on it. People who have near-death experiences often talk about moving towards the light at the end of the tunnel or ascending toward the light or flying or floating or falling. I didn't get that. I'm not sure what that says about the state of my soul. There was no light, no kindly beckoning voice, no lake of fire to fall into. There was only silence, deep and timeless, or not even the beating of my heart thudded in my ears. So it's interesting. He's not going towards the light. No, Carol Ann. But Carol also, Ann. Carol Ann. Go towards the light, Carol Ann. Uh, but there's also no lake of fire where he's going into hell or whatever. So it's an interesting, it's all silent. Um, which is an interesting perspective on. I mean, I could have told that. Death and souls. Um, but then. Harry's body dies. Susan gives him CPR. And we meet Harry's ghost. <laughs> uh, and so in, in Full Moon, I fucking hated the way he did this uh, inner monologue duality. I hated it. This I kind of liked. It worked a little bit better with the story. And it's not... He doesn't use the character of his ghost very much, but it trips Krabos out, which is great. Um, so it's, but it, what's, what's funny is I think this is more of a cop out, and I liked it better in Full Moon than I do so here. Funny. I just felt like this was more because because this is a ghost book. This, yeah, not I, I agree, and and we yeah. we kind of talked about this offline where like. I thought of this book, you know, if we had run through the list of books, like I would have said, uh, Stormfront, that's a bad sorcerer. Full Moon, that's the werewolf book. Grave Peril, that's the vampire book. You know, the next one's a whatever book. Um, I wouldn't have thought of this as a ghost book, even though it very, very clearly is. Yeah. Well, and another thing we mentioned offline, um, we were having some technical issues, but uh, that pile... And Kelly, our first interaction with them, they don't have to be vampires. Yeah, I think their appearance early on and then again later with Lydia in the van uh, kind of skew my memory and make me think mm -hmm. that there's vampires littered throughout this novel. But really, yeah. there's the vampire ball is the only time the vampires are even relevant until obviously this situation with Susan. I mean, and it's very much, uh, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting combination of of the supernatural where we very much i never thought of this as a vampire book i always thought of it as a ghost book uh but again when um when we kind of teased the next book at the end of full moon joshi asked me what looking at you know the cover of the book what i think it is and i said uh ghosts or zombies and i think i said ghosts i know i said zombies I think it was zombies or vampires. 
Oh, did I? Okay, well, but grave. Go, grave doesn't usually make you think about no, it. No, grave doesn't think about. I did say vi- vampires or zombies, but but I still feel like it's a ghost book. Oh yeah, no, I thought you were right when you're like, oh, vampires. I'm like, yeah, it's yeah. a vampire book, uh, and I I think that's more because of. I mean, you can think you could you know extrapolate here and think of what mm-hmm. resonates more in the story moving forward. Um, and well, because if you think about it, you've got. The antagonist is Kravos. He truly is. Mm-hmm. And so he's a ghost. His power of using the ghost is obviously important. Uh, and that's sort of what drives us through a lot of this. Oh, absolutely. It's, I mean, looking at it now, I mean, it, it is a ghost book. You know, the, mm-hmm. Kyle and Ellie Hamilton don't need to be ski slope villains. Like they could be any any b- bully delivering that message i mean it could just be my jerk of a mortal mailman it, it could be anybody yeah and i, I and i kind of maybe he's not mortal. maybe that's why he's such a jerk <laughs> maybe um but anyway back to the story here i love this how carrie says my savior was me too or rather <laughs> it's an interesting like use of that like it was me too it was me or rather, something that looked a very great deal like. Well, it's it's important to note that this guy is not the same guy as you met in Full Moon. No, this is his ghost. This is Harry's ghost. This isn't Harry's ego or id or whatever that guy was. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but my double peered at me and said, you know, we really look like hell. <laughs> What's this? Hissed Kravos. What trick is this? I offered myself a hand up, so I took it. <laughs> In my head, that was so funny. I was walking down the street laughing at that. I offered myself a hand up, so I took it. Like, that's just funny. Oh, yeah. uh, a hell, Kravos. As flexible as the boundaries between here and the spirit world have been, I would have, you ex- I would have expected you to figure it out by now. Kravos looked at the two of us and bared his teeth. Your ghost. Technically, my ghost said. Harry actually died for a minute. Don't you remember how ghosts are made? Normally, there wouldn't be enough latent energy to create an impression like me. But with him being a wizard, a real wizard, not a petty fake like you. <laughs> I love just the digs. <laughs> and with the border to the never-never in such a state of flux, it was pretty much inevitable. Sid, I told my ghost. Just be glad your theory worked. I wouldn't be very good at this solo. Well, thanks, Kravos here. It was him and Bianca and Mavra who stirred things up to make this possible. We looked at Kravros. You aren't going to sneak attack me while I'm doped unconscious, bub. This time I'm ready. You're in my dream now. And I'm taking back what's mine. Bum, bum, bum. And Harry turns into this clawed, and in my head he was a werewolf, basically. Uh, but he tears Kravos to shreds. He is, he's gulping down the pieces. He says, I ate him all up. As I did, I felt power, surety, confidence, all rushing back into me. My stolen magic came raging back into me, filling me like silver lightning, a tingling, almost painful rush as I took back what was mine. There's an interesting turn of phrase in there where he says, I ate him all up, Mm -hmm. which is the exact same phrasing that Leah uses when she just is explaining to Susan at the party 
that she's not under the right of hospitality when she says, wait, well, what is that? I was only allowed to bring one person. And Susan says, well, what does that mean? And Leah turns around and says, what it, what it means, little Red Riding Hood, is that the big bad wolf gets to eat you all up. And it's just a weird turn of phrase to me. I, just, I wonder if that's a throwback, though. I, I think it's probably just, you know, like when somebody writes in their own language. Yeah. And it's just how a, a phrase that Butcher probably yeah means you know makes sense in his head but it's two different characters using it which makes makes you just see it's more interesting than anything else very true very much so yeah but it's i i do like how the creature in his dream when he lost his magic turned into the same sort of creature and but i love that it's like you're in my dream now bitch (laughs) this is my world by the time i'd finished tearing him to shreds the pieces were vanishing like remnants of any foul dream I crouched on the dream floor as they did, shaking with the rushing energy inside of me. I felt a hand on my shoulder and looked up. I must have looked feral. My ghost took a step back and lifted both hands. Easy, easy, he said. I think you got him. I got him, I said quietly. It's interesting that, like, this was another moment where Harry kind of loses it. Mm Mm-hmm. But that seems to be his sort of M.O. It's he's a good guy. He's no, got a lot. Of, well, he's but he's still a good guy, and you know he died doing what was right. Same concept, where it's in spite of himself, he does certain things. I do know that if you go so far as to scare your own ghost, <laughs> it, you know it's a little bit much. But they, that's the only bad thing about this gig as a ghost. Once you accomplish whatever it was that caused you get to get created, you're done. Kravos, the real Kravos, is already gone. Just his shell stayed behind. And this would have happened to him, too, if he'd killed you. Do unto others before they do unto you, I said. It's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. A bit different. (laughs) And then Harry wakes up and Susan is there. And he tells Susan that I pushed his buttons and he lost control. He got me. Then I got him. You did it just right. Susan is obviously upset and she says, you know, that... She, she she almost screamed. You did fine, I said. I rolled over and pushed myself to my feet, though my body groaned in protest. The pain felt like something happening very far away to someone else. It wasn't relevant to me. The energy coursing through me, that was relevant. I had to release some of it soon, or I'd explode. I got something back, I said. It's a high. I still hurt. But that doesn't seem to be important. He puts on a pair of boxers. We put a, something on Justine. Well, we're trying to get Justine out from behind the washing machine. And he vent us, ser- servitas. He vent us, servitas her out from behind. <laughs> I do love that we now just use the these spells as verbs as well. Uh-huh, 100%. He goes this, he vent us, servitas is that. Uh-huh. Uh, he says, Justine, we're leaving. I don't care how crazy you are. You're coming with me. <laughs> he wraps her in a little red riding hood cloak. And she says, but we're going to die. Were, I said, past tense. He ventus servitas the door. They come out. Get behind me, both of you. I don't want, don't get in front of me unless you want to get hurt. An arm shot around the edge of the door, followed swiftly by Kyle Hamilton's body in its masquerade costume. His flesh mask back in place. Behind him, Kelly followed him in, her once pretty face twisting and bulging beneath her flesh mask, as though she could barely contain the creature inside her. Poor 
Kelly. Come along, sister. Okay, this is why I really want him to have like a come along, sister. Painted or not. We shall tear open his heart and see what a wizard's blood tastes like. Like I feel like he needs to have like a surfer voice. <laughs> that was actually more like a cal the Californians. Like a, cal- like a California voice. Like, but that's like a surfer day voice. But come yeah. along, sister. Tainted or not, we shall tear open his heart to see what his blood's like. Not a Californian accent, an accent from the show Californians, the SNL sketch. Uh, yes, it totally does. That's true. To the five, right. to the two, 210, to the 134. <laughs> to the- <laughs> Facts. There's actually the five, the 134, the 210. Get I still use that up in Northern California, and my friends give me shit for it. But that's okay. That's hella dumb. They give you shit for stuff. I refuse to say hella, too. So stupid. This is my fact that I use all the time that my sister is tired of me saying. The reason why people in Southern California say the <laughs> 5 and the 405 and the 10, whereas other people say Interstate 10 or inter- whatever, is the freeway system in Los Angeles predates the interstate highway system. So you used to take the Harbor Freeway to the Hollywood Freeway to the Val, whatever, Santa Ana Freeway. Whereas, and they added numbers on top. Other places, they built them as I-5, I-whatever. So, you guys are dumb. We're right. Suck, <laughs> suck it, I guess. Mostly NorCal. NorCal suck it. Um, <laughs> Fury surged through me. Before fear or anxiety, a fury so scarlet and bright that I could scarcely believe it was mine. Maybe it wasn't. After all, you are what you eat, even if you're a wizard. This chapter, there's a lot of him trying to figure out where he ends and where Kravos begins. Mm-hmm. I guess. But let go, Kyle. Graded. You got one chance to live through this. Walk away right now. <laughs> Kyle laughs, thinking it's a bluff. And poor, poor Kelly just gets blasted oh, up damn. and down this novel. And he blasts her with a Venta Servitas, slamming into her like a bag of sand. Oof. Weird. And exclusively makes me think of 40 year old virgin. <laughs> I've never seen that movie. You ever felt a boob, you know, like how, like it's a bag of sand? <laughs> That's that. It's there. Um, <laughs> but he blasts Kelly, and then Kyle screams in fury, drawing his hand off of his throat and driving it at Harry. He dodges the first one, and then Susan jumps in front of him and catches the next blow. She does a little twisty, screamy thing and kind of like a hurricane rana and gets up and like whips him across the room and um, slams him into poor Kelly again. <laughs> and there's a, a weird kind of situation where I think because Kyle's on top of Kelly and she's trying to get out of her flesh mask and she starts scraping at him and he starts scraping at her and they're like kind of like clawing at each other as well as just trying to get up. And then Harry uses a curse we've never heard him use before. Satharak Nakadum. And it's one of those spells that he stole from Kravos. 
But as he also says, it's an, uh, a wholly unfamiliar gesture. Yeah. yeah, so he does a weird thing with his hand and says this, kind of like when Pravos, the night, when he was the nightmare, the unnamed nightmare at SI, blasted him back with Ventus Servitas, or when he used Fuego mm -hmm. in the graveyard. Good point. And in a, in a blaze of scarlet light that spun around the maddened vampires, a ribbon of flame cooned them both, burning brighter and hotter. The spell enfolded them in fire. They screamed as they died. Greasy black smoke started to spread over the floor, and it's gross. Yuck! 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 Within the confines of my spell, the screams stopped. Now they were only cracklings, poppings. The sound of overheated marrow boiling, bursting out of bone. Ugh. G -g 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 gross but he just turns away and says let's go they go through the, the basement they see lots of corpses from children from the masquerade all those people the all the cattle who had the red um, scarves on their arms or whatever all the, all the missing people that SI had meant the people from SI had mentioned I actually have a question before we get out of the section. So, uh, Susan's eyes change when she attacks, the whites go black and then they come back at some point. Is that part of the vampire lore in this? Like, I'm just trying to, I think the deeper she is in the hunger kind of she, when she's giving, in. Mm -hmm. so like she's kind of of two worlds right now. She has the, vampire part and the human part oh, okay. and when she's oh, letting the she's vampire still both worlds yeah she's still in between okay so other vampires are always all black i think they are what they choose to be as far as like with their flesh mask but okay. when they're their actual form they're going to be all black eyes gotcha okay i was opinion. just trying to figure that little bit bob yeah no it's it's just a kind of a trigger warning basically it just tells us where she's at gotcha as far as but also, this is, obviously, it's before, like, when, um, what's her face? Bianca later says something about she'll soon be my full sister. So she's not a full vampire yet. So she doesn't have that. She's not wearing a flesh mask. And Yeah, no, that's still skin. That's still her. She doesn't have the greasy bat-like thing underneath her quite okay. yet. She's somewhere in between. Gotcha. And so when the eyes go black, it's just kind of tells us she's close to being a bad guy again. Uh, as they go through the basement, they see the corpses, and then he runs into a, a skull in a fishnet sack. Mm. It's, our it's our boy Bob. Don't worry, Liz. He's back. I was so glad. Like, I literally said, oh, yay, when I'm listening. <laughs> um, oh, Bob. He's like, Harry, Bob said, stars and skies, you're all right. And looking grim, even dressed in boxers with yellow duckies on them. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty great. There's a little exchange there where Bob says, wow, your aura is different. You look a lot like, shut up, Bob. What does his aura look like? That was just. Well, I think like Kravos, I think was he was. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. Is my guess just because he ate up. He that ate him all up. Totally makes sense. <laughs> I love that. Bob saved all the stuff by. Bianca got the idea somewhere that your stuff might explode if anyone messed around with it. <laughs> I love that. That's pretty fantastic. <laughs> uh, 
Did she now? Did she? Well, I can't imagine how. Well, I'm doubling your pay. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't he pay him in romance novels? Yes, yes, yes he does. That made it even funnier. Um, there's a classic Bob where yeah. Harry gives Justine Bob and he says, hey, cutie, that's a real nice cloak you got there. Will you let me see the lining? Um, obviously, because it's a nice cloak. Who wouldn't want to see the lining of a cloak? And I'm assuming it's taking that at face value. Um, stop goofing around. You know, we're still inside Bianca's and we have to get out. Mm-hmm. And then where's Susan? Apparently, <sighs> Susan slipped away. Got called back. She got, Mama. Mama called. And when Mama calls, you got to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see her leave or anyone take her? And Bob coughed. Well, truth be told, I was looking at Justine's luscious little. I get the point, Bob. <sighs> and so they think like maybe someone under a veil came and grabbed her, but then they remembered how strong she is right now. There's no way she would have gone without a fight. I do love the, they're here, we can't see them. What's this wee stuff, Kimosabi? <laughs> I do enjoy Bob. A, that Bob can see whatever the fuck is there, but B, that he still, even though he works for Harry, he's not necessarily on team dress. <laughs> he's just doing his own. He's on team Bob. Yeah, 100%. There's a line I don't love here, and it doesn't feel really appropriate mm-hmm. or good characterization, where he, um, stay down here, Bob, things just start flying, give whatever help you can. It makes, that makes sense. He gives, basically gives Justine Bob, but Justine already has him, but he says, stay with her. And then he says, where he looks at Justine and says, I'll get you out if I can. And that's just not, I don't, I didn't quite understand that. Well, he's going to go up and fight the vampires. Like, he knows Bianca's upstairs with Susan, and she, uh, again, gotcha. has, a, has a plan for him to come up there and probably die. Mm-hmm. But the, I'll get you out if I can, is not... Very hairy. That's not hairy at all. He would say, I'll be back. Yeah, I'm going to go kill this bitch. I'll come back down and grab you, and then we're going to go... Yeah. We'll go no find matter you what occurs, I will find you. No matter how far, I will, I will find you. You're strong. You spit. You hear? Oh, DDL. <laughs> how did he not win an Oscar for that? And for that, I mean, literally every single role he's ever had that wasn't Lincoln, my left foot, or there will be blood. Because he's only won three Oscars when he should have all of them. <laughs> One of my top three favorite movies last night. Hmm. So there you go. We'll, we'll peek into, into little old me. So after telling Justine he's going to try to get her out, he heads up the steps, and there's a door that obviously is sitting there open for him, waiting for him to come in. Uh-huh. And he gets in there, and there's vampires all... I like the tableau we have here, where there's vampires like hanging on the curtains and the walls, just kind of like all these gross, greasy, mm-hmm. black creatures all over the place. Bianca. But the fact that they're in their form, their natural yeah. form. And there's a vampire on the <laughs> Exactly. Too. I don't know why that entertained me so much. But she's in the middle of it in her white dress and her flesh mask. And then there's a line of like security guards in front with yes. weapons. It's just a really cool again, just a tableau. Just visualizing mm-hmm. that that image is just great. And he walks in there and he starts laughing as he leans on his staff. He says, What do you find so amusing, my pet? He's like 
All of this for a guy with two sticks and a pair of yellow ducky boxer shorts. <laughs> you must think I'm a real dangerous man. <laughs> it's like, as a matter of fact, I do. Were I you, I would consider it flattery. He's like, would you? She says, oh, oh, yes. Gentlemen, fire. So she starts, these guys are shooting, and uh, he raises his arm and says, uh, reflect them. Reflect them. Guns roared with fire and thunder. Sparks showered off of a barrier less than six inches away from my hand. The bracelet grew warm as the security men poured a hail of gunfire at me. It stopped just short, and bullets shot aside, chewing through the expensive woodwork and bouncing wildly around the room. One of the vampires let out a yowl and dropped from the wall to splat on the ground like a fat bug. One of the security men's guns suddenly jumped and twisted, and he cried out in pain, reeling back, blood streaming from his hands and the ruins of his face. Technology doesn't tend to work too well around magic, including the feeding mechanisms of automatic weapons. <laughs> Two of the guns jammed before dumping their full clips, and the others fell silent, spent. I stood still, one hand extended. Bullets lay all over the floor in front of me. Misshapen slugs of lead. The security men stared and stumbled away from me, behind Bianca and the vampires, and out the door. I don't blame them. If all I had was a gun, and it had just been that useless, I would have too. Just so great. Uh, I literally put um, in this with about d d Dresden deflects all the, all the uh, bullets. Huh. And then... <laughs> and then... He fuegos. Oh boy, does he fuego. Power exploded from the rod, circular core stations following a solid scarlet column of energy that lanced forward toward the vampire's head. Bianca kept smiling. She lifted her left hand, mumbled some gibberish, and I saw cold darkness gather before her, a concave disc that met my energy lance and absorbed, scattered it sent smaller bolts of fire darting here and there, splashing on the floor in small, blazing puddles. And at this I wrote, uh-oh. <laughs> and we learn that Mavra has been an instructor for her. Uh, but there's one more piece I'd like to put on the board, Bianca says, and a door opens, and there's a gentleman in a nice suit who says, my name is Ortega, Don Paolo Ortega of the Red Court. Hiya, Don, I said. I'd like to lodge a complaint. <laughs> he, smiled. he smiled, a show of broad white teeth. I'm sure you would, Mr. Dresden, but I've been monitoring the situation here, and the Baroness, he nodded to Bianca, has broken none of the accords, nor has she violated the laws of hospitality, nor her own given word. Oh, come on, she's broken the spirit of all of them. Alas, that in the Accords it was agreed that there was no spirit of the law between our kinds, Mr. Dresden, only its letter. And Baroness Bianca has strictly adhered to its letter. You have instigated multiple combats in her home, murdered her sworn bondsman, inflicted damage to her property and her reputation. And now you stand here prepared to continue your grievance with her in a most unlawful and cavalier fashion. I believe what you do here is sometimes referred to as cowboy justice. Ortega's eyes glittered. I am present as a witness to the Red King and the Vampire Courts at large. That is all. I am merely a witness. 
Isn't that a little bit of conflict of interest? <laughs> you a red court bro when you here? In the red court saying I'm doing shit wrong? We investigated ourselves and found us innocent of all wrongdoing. Exactly. Priyanka says, and a witness who will carry word of your treacherous attacks and intrusion back to the courts, it will mean war between our kindred and the White Council. War between vampires and White Council. Uh, the other thing unconnected to this right here is there's no spirit of the law. So all of, I mean, this is just the Accords, but in my brain, the spirit of the law is the whole supernatural stuff. So all of those times that he played, but that he played with the spirit over letter of the law with Leah, he was in the right. Uh, because he plays with the letter no, of the law. It's the opposite. Of, though. He's cheating her. her. She, he says, you will come with me this night. And he said, yeah, for sure. And then he tries to stab her with a magic sword. Well, no, but in the, uh, there's a couple other times that he plays the game and it's spirit letter law. Yeah, it feels maybe, like. Um, certainly anytime it's. The, the laws are always exactly what they say. And that's what, how, that's how fairies trick you yeah. in general is they, they make a deal, but yes. yeah, I yeah, know. I knew that part. That's why I felt like that. This also applied to the fairies. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, and Harry says, well, since he isn't running off to tattle right this second, I can only assume that you're about to offer me a deal. And Bianca does. Bianca says, first, you shall be forgiven your excesses of bad taste of the last few days. But for the two deaths, none of it is unworkable. And those two would have died shortly in any case. I will forgive you, Mr. Dresden. Those two deaths are the Hamill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Our ski school bullies. Exactly. That's so kind. It gets better. You may take your equipment, your skull, and the white bastard's whore with you when you leave. Unharmed and free of future malice, all accounts will be called even. How could I possibly say no? <laughs> you, killed, you killed someone very dear to me, Mr. Dresden. Not directly, true, but your actions mandated her death. For that, too, I will forgive you. I narrowed my eyes. Bianca ran her hands over Susan's hair. This one will stay with me. You stole away someone dear to me, Mr. Dresden. I'm going to take away someone dear to you. After that, all will be equal. Well, wizard, how do you answer? Accept my bargain, my compromise, or is it war? And you will become its first casualty. And he looks at Susan, looks at Bianca, looks at Ortega, looks at all the vampires, and says, I love her. I didn't say it very loud. What? Bianca stared at me. What did you say? I said, I love her. She is already half mine. So? I still love her. She isn't even fully human any longer, Dresden. It won't be long before she is as a sister to me. Maybe. Maybe not. Get your hands off my girlfriend. You are mad. You would flirt with chaos, destruction, with war. For the sake of this one wounded soul? I smote my staff on the floor, reaching deep for power. Deeper than I've ever reached before. Outside, in the gathering morning, the air crackled with thunder for the sake of one soul for one loved one, for one life the way i see it there's nothing else worth fighting war for so bianca loses it says kill him her skin mask goes away and the vampires came for him in a moment of clarity harry realizes 
They were coming. The vampires would be coming for me. My brain kept chattering at me, frantic, panicked. They're coming. Justine, Susan, and I might as well be dead. Dead like all the others. Dead like all their victims. I leaned against the wall by the stairs, panting, fighting to hold on to some sense of clarity. Dead. Victims. The victims below. The dead. I dropped the blasting rod I fell to my knees. With my staff, I scratched a circle around me in the dust. It was enough. The circle closed with a throne of power. Magic ran rampant in that house, and the sea of supernatural energy stirred to a froth. I had no guide for this kind of spell. No focus. Nothing to target. But that wasn't the kind of magic I was working I shoved my senses down into the earth. Like reaching fingers, I blanked out the burning hall, my enemies, Bianca's howling. I shut away the fire, the smoke, the pain, the nausea. I focused and reached beneath. And then I found them. I found the dead, the victims, the ones who had been taken. Not just a few piled below like so much trash to be discarded. I found others. Dozens of others. Scores. Hundreds. Bones hidden away, never marked, never remembered. Restless shades trapped in the earth, too weak to act, to take vengeance, to seek peace. Maybe on another night, or in another place, I couldn't have done it. But the way had been prepared for me by Bianca and her people. They thought to weaken the border between life and death, to use the dead as a weapon against me. But that blade can cut both ways. I found those spirits, reached out, and touched them, one by one. And all hell fucking breaks loose. Literally. Literally, right? The dead came. This is just a great image to me. The dead came. They erupted through the floor and took forms of smoke and flame and cinder. I saw them as I swayed, weakened, finished by the effort of the spell. I saw their faces. I saw newsboys from the Roaring Twenties and Greaser Street Punks from the Fifties. I saw delivery people and homeless transients and lost children rise up. Deadly in their fury, the ghost reached out with flaming hands to burn and sear. They shoved their smoky bodies into noses and throats. They held their names and the names of their murderers, the names of their loved ones, and their vengeance shook that grand old house like a thunderstorm, like an earthquake. So these motherfucking ghosts are going into the vampire. Do I have that right? Yeah, I mean, they're just going and just... Doing all the things they can. I mean, that's, to it's they're. just such a cool image. Like, I, I think of like, I'm trying to think of, uh, like, there's a movie, I'm sure, <laughs> but just where the ghosts kind of, maybe like uh, Lord of the Rings, where there's the army of ghosts and they just go through and just kind of chew up everything that goes. Through. With all that power of, yeah, um, of the just, never, never. Just all, all, yeah, but just all the power they're going through and just chewing up these vampires, whether they're physically destroying them. But, but just, they're killing them, obviously. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, just going in and yeah. just destroying. Uh, but it's kind of like, again, a one-off like that. Well, and here, uh, in one of them, even one that had forged a body for itself out of spent bullets lying upon the floor. So they're using the dust, they're using the bullets. It's pretty damn cool. Oh, it's just a great image. Uh, yeah, Susan began to wake up to look around, her expression terrified. Susan, I shouted, Susan. And Susan began to struggle. And Bianca is trying to drag her down. She fought to drag my girlfriend closer to the front door, but one of the ghosts clawed at the vampire's leg, setting it aflame. I sent my spell hurtling out along with Susan's name, the last strength of my body and mind. I saw her rise. Rachel's ghost. Or is it Paula? She appeared. Simple. Yes. 
she appeared simple and translucent and pretty and put herself between Bianca's claws and Susan's throat. Blood gouted from the ghost, scarlet and horrible. Susan tumbled limply to one side. Bianca started screaming. High enough to shatter glass as the bloody ghost simply pressed against her, wrapping her arms around the monstrous black form. My spell followed the heels of Rachel's ghost and took Bianca full in the face. A near solid column of wind which seized her hurtled her up, then smashed her down onto the floor. Then our heroes get out of the house, and the house implodes. I love you, I said, or tried to say to Susan, I love you. She pressed her mouth to mine. I think she was crying. Hush, she said, Harry, hush. I love you too. It was done. There was no more reason to hold on. Absolutely fantastic. Just such a great ending to that. Oh, I love it. It's an action movie moment, but that's okay. Well, very much so. I mean, it, it doesn't... I don't want to say it doesn't work, because it does work. And it's work, kind of a... It's sort of a... Like, uh, something that had to happen. It had to end, like, hugely, because otherwise, how the hell are they going to get out of here? Yeah, no, exactly. And we already had the big reveal of Ortega, and that's going to resonate moving forward for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is one of those movie sitcom moments that obviously wouldn't happen in real life where he ends up in, I regard it as one last sadistic jibe of whatever power had decided to make my life a living hell that the burn ward was full and I was given a room to share with Charity Carpenter. Obviously, there's... Don't care, still love yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um... Oh, good. She recovered in spirit, at least, and she laid into him from the moment he woke up. Uh, the woman's tongue was sharper than any sword, even Amarakis, and he smiled through most of it. Michael would have been proud. The baby pulled, pulled through. Yay. I think I agree with Harry here that Kravos had taken a bite of the little guy, and that once Kravos had mm-hmm. died, he got that power back because he kind of turned around at the same time as all the fiasco was happening at Bianca's house. Michael thought that God had simply decreed the morning to be a day of good things. Whatever. The results were what counted. <laughs> I like that. It's just that they both find their way to their own understanding of the situation, and, and that's okay. And, that's, yeah. and they appreciate each other's own understanding. Yeah. I, mean, I have a lot of plenty of religious friends that we see things differently, and that's okay, because at the end of the day, we're happy when things work out, we're sad when things don't, and we're there for each other to help each other through it. <laughs> they've decided to name him Harry. I love that. As they're telling him that they're naming their child after him, Charity's glowering at him. Does Charity actually want him named Harry? I actually wrote that down. Does Charity actually want to name the kid that? At this point, we don't know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you can guess. Hmm. But she remains silent. And Charity got out of the hospital a couple days before him. But Michael or Father Fort Hill was mm-hmm. there the whole time making sure he's safe with a crucifix. You know, Michael had the sword and Fort Hill had a crucifix just in case. One night when he couldn't sleep, he mentioned to Michael that he was worried about the repercussions of the harmful magic he dished out. This is going to come back up soon, but it's important to mention it here as well. I think that I'm not a philosopher, Harry, but here's something for you to think about. What goes around comes around. And sometimes you get what's coming around. And sometimes. You are what's coming. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, line. Especially again, coming from Michael. Sometimes, sometimes you got to kick some ass, Harry. Well, and didn't it? Didn't we have something about what goes around comes around just happened a few minutes ago? Like, wasn't there just another quote like that where it's it's just? Uh, no, it it's. Oh, I remember what it is. It's when Harry said. Oh, do unto others before they do unto you. I guess it's a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's different, but it's kind of the same idea. But it's certainly Michael's is more poetic and less fuck those guys. <laughs> and similar philosophy to Harry's, yeah. but a little bit yeah, smoothed 100%. out, I think is probably pretty standardized. There's a nice kind of moment with mm-hmm. Murphy where they go to um, Kravos's funeral and it's just them and the grave diggers and they kind of watched it in complete silence and she says she couldn't stop him i tried she obviously isn't over what happened to her and you know he says he sucker punched you like mm-hmm. even if you had been a wizard he would have gotten to you like he damn near did me you can't blame yourself and you know she says she knows but she isn't used to being a victim and so that clearly is something mm-hmm. she's not ready to forgive herself. I, I don't think she even blames Kravos. She blames herself. And it's obviously ridiculous to anyone <laughs> who thinks about it, but it's like she's upset with herself and she doesn't know. That's going to. She, she's powerless and she does not like to be powerless. Exactly. We find out that Michael and Thomas were able to come back through the Never Never. Through a ge- <laughs> a house of sin, Michael says, a gentleman's <laughs> club. Thomas protested, and one of the nicest ones in town. <laughs> I guess the white court when they they can go to and fro from the never never through places near and dear to their heart and near and dear to their power, and so that is what the a strip club is for Thomas. <laughs> I wonder if Michael- the the flesh pit. Flesh pit is yeah. the greatest term <laughs> I've ever heard. I'm just trying to think of Charity's reaction because obviously Michael isn't going to keep that from Charity. He'll tell. Him. No. <laughs> On their way out of the uh, graveyard, Murphy kind of looks at Harry's tombstone, which, as promised, Bianca had placed mm-hmm. at a grave in Graceland. And she looks, she reads it out loud that he died doing the right thing. And she looks at him and he says, not yet. Not today. That we find out a little bit more about the church. Obviously father Fort Hill is way too unsurprised by a lot of this stuff. Right. For us to believe that for us mm-hmm. is new to him. So he knows. So the church capital C kind of has clearly has some, understanding of the supernatural whatever that may be and um we learned there's kind of a witness protection program type thing where they get uh which is spectacular yeah, yeah. so they, they shuffled lydia turns out her name was barbara but they shuffled her out of town and she left him a note that said i'm sorry thank you for everything again like why is she sorry like what part of this was I think what she dragged him into, I think this is what she was sorry for. Yeah, I guess. It just seems like like a hairy type of move to you know, blame himself, blame herself for something that wasn't her fault. You know, it's just not, not wrong or bad, just interesting. Um, and here we're back on the Yikes train with Thomas. Talk about it. 
um, where he sent a letter for Justine on a little note card attached to a bow. Yeah. All she was wearing. And, um, yeah, uh, I do like, he kind of gets on the, the idea of her emotional instability and he couldn't really hold it against her. Plenty of people have to take some kind of medication to keep stable lithium, supermodel, sex vampires, whatever works, I guess. That is funny. Um, I do like that pleasant, you know, understanding and appreciation for mental health. Susan sent him flowers and called him every day, but they didn't talk long. And she moved out of her apartment. She basically was hard for Harry to track down. So he had to use a tracking spell, which seems a bit invasion of privacy because clearly she doesn't want to talk to you. And Yeah, there is a, that's a little bit, it's not quite the same kind of likes. Yikes. Sorry, it's not quite the same kind of yikes, but it is still kind of, uh Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's even, like, icky necessarily, so much as just, like, not respecting boundaries. Yeah, very um, much not respecting boundaries. Which, again, yeah. I, I, I've never been in this particular situation, and I... He also has some stuff to work through, right? Like, I mean, that's... There's definitely... I get, I get it, but it's definitely worth noting as not cool. If that makes sense. Um, but um, he finds her on a beach, sunbathing. Sun. Is that a word? She's laying in the sun, getting warm, like a sunbathing is a term. Like a cat, and she says the sun helps sometimes. Can she be in the sun and it not bother her because she's not fully a vampire? Don't they have, is it, wasn't something came up? Yeah. The, the sun bothers them. Like remember when they're in the, the warehouse and he knocks the wall down and it affects Kelly. Yeah. And I think that's why the sun helps. It keeps the hunger at bay. Cause it's something antithetical, you know, to it. It's mm. the sunlight is the opposite of what, vampires are and so it's a power that kind of helps keep down the vampire part of her because again she's not a vampire she's you know like justine said she has to until she kills somebody she's not a red core vampire okay so she has to you know she's in limbo exactly and so you know that's what we talked about earlier with her eyes getting big so in this case she it helps her to stay more in control by being in the sun, which kind of makes sense. Gotcha. She learned from Thomas and Justine a little bit more about her condition. And I, I like that just narrative. That makes sense that you would lean on the people who know a little bit more. He tries to ask her to marry her. Marry him. He tries. He doesn't try. He does. Yes, he does. He does ask her to yeah. marry him. And they kiss. And obviously the, her tongue has some vampire venom-like qualities and kind of explains why she says she can't. And uh, you already make me ache for you, Harry. I couldn't control myself. I couldn't sort out the hungers. She pressed the ring back into his hand, gathered her stuff, and said, don't come to me again. I'll call you. And she left. You know, one of those, you get it. It's sad. It's... Not ideal. They obviously mm-hmm. do love and care about each other, but it 
as star-crossed lovers tend to be, they are star-crossed. Mm-hmm. He wakes up screaming and crying. He sleeps with the light close. He basically doesn't leave his apartment. He's trying to do research to find a way to solve her half-vampire problem. It's not going anywhere. Um, we learn from Bob that we're in a full-out war between the White Council and the vampire courts. Paris and Berlin went into chaos almost a week ago, and the council's calling a meeting here in Chicago. I do like the Paris and Berlin kind of reference. It just kind of gives us an idea of the scale that it's mm-hmm. like, there's like, shit's going to hell in Europe. It's not really a big deal here quite yet, but it's, yeah. Um, it just talks about the grit, the size and scope of what we're talking about, which I like. 100%. Definitely. I mean, but it's, it's also, it gives us a global. It's a global issue. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's no, no, not nice. And he mentions that he, he doesn't get delivery anymore after somebody tried to kill him with a bomb. All those half, you know, those weaker, lesser talents that we've talked about in the past on this pot, very pod, are kind of in hiding throughout the city because they don't yeah. know how, you know, how deep the vampire. How is Max doing? That's a good point. Although people are hiding, Max might, maybe he's doing gangbusters. Hey, that's true. But, if, you know, if they're not going out, are they going to the bar? <laughs> I mean, curious. I was here during pandemic. I think you can find time to sneak out. I've heard. I've heard. <laughs> I was very safe. Masks and distancing. Michael and Murphy come by and they bring them a care package. They bring them charcoal and kerosene and food. Mm-hmm. Michael rather pointedly included a razor. Um, I love that. Just friends, they make they make it easier. I like that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the council's going to be mad at Harry, but what's new? I like that line a lot. And yeah, we just kind of settle into this holding pattern where things are shitty, nothing's good, everything's yeah. terrible. But he's got some people who care about him, and that helps. He's got a really cool kitty that helps. And Susan doesn't call; she doesn't visit. But I got a card from her on my birthday, Halloween. She wrote only three words. I'll let you guess what three. Mm, I do love that. I truly do. I mean, hell of an ending. Yeah. A little bit of a down note. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Keep it. Do you want to talk about that chapter in particular? Or do you want to hop into analysis? Oh, let's do it. Oh, oh I've got... I've got some quotes. I've got overall analysis. I've got some uh, ideas about what the next book's about. I'm all in. The whole gamut. All right. Well, bits and bobs. All right. Uh, what are your initial thoughts, questions, lore? I love that we've more lore has been developed in this uh, in this in this book. A lot more lore. Oh, tons, tons. And I love that um, because that's that's one of the things where every everything we read, we're getting more and more lore. And in this particular one, we get a lot of lore development, and I appreciate that immensely. Well, just it just like grows the world every time he we, mm-hmm. we learn new lore, which is awesome. And it, it this the scope and scale of this as we get deeper into the series, sometimes the you know the stakes are bigger, sometimes they're smaller. Um, yeah. um, this is a pretty small stakes adventure, right? I mean, it's 
it's big stakes for Harry, obviously, but it's just about Harry. It's not like about the greater world. But by learning all this and we end up in this war, it, it you know, things resonate worldwide. And that's really cool. More than worldwide because Harry and Never Never as well. Yeah, that's true. But it, it, it has potential to have more happen. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're right. At its base, at its core, it is more, a, more personal. Which is great. I mean, yeah. even when you have, I mean, thinking like Marvel movies and stuff, right? Like even when the stakes are really huge, it's the more personal aspects of it that are the ones that really matter, at least to me, you know, like, I mean, I love saving the world and that's great. And certainly, you know, Harry Dresden is going to do the right thing far more often than not. And oftentimes that's going to be a large scale conflict, but mm-hmm. the, the stuff that really resonates is him and Susan and him and Michael and yeah. even the, the moments with him and Thomas, you know, they're, those are the things that we care about and are really cool. And so even no matter what the scope of the actual story is, when the stakes are big or small, it's about those character moments that are just really what, what I come back to Dresden for multiple times a year. No, and I, and I, I do. It's those, it is those moments that are so, are the reason why these books work. They're why we, we keep wanting to read more and keep, why even when there's moments where it's like, where we are, we continue on. Because there's so much of the, there's so many of those moments where it's just good shit. <laughs> yeah, no, just good lore stuff. Um, good character moments. Great character. Um, I do have a couple like uh, overarching things that kind of I, I see having an effect in the future. Oh, what do you got? So the first one is Harry Stronger. There is more power. He's got more magic. It seems like yeah. When he yeah. grabbed Cavus's, it's less of a unstable moment for him. That's the number one thing. Oh, okay. So I, I do think that power is going to just kind of. I don't know if that's his okay. forever. Okay. Um, and even if, although the way Bob described it, I guess it'll come back in years or months or weeks. So yeah, presumably he does. Ha- he did, does have a little bit more power. We don't see that spell again. So okay. just to, okay. To tell you that. But I agree with you that the way he dealt with that burst of power even though it he did exhaust himself pretty quickly in that fight against bianca he, it wasn't the like shakiness where he's not sure he can control it yeah so yeah I, it was strong I, and powerful yeah but he's definitely got a better hold on his own power and his ability to have all that power I, that that's mm-hmm. a good match that he's definitely he, he definitely you can see him being stronger already and i also i mean i just really um the one thing what i have written down is the love bond so with Harry and Susan, I, I, I'm curious to see how it develops in comparison to the bond between Michael and Charity, because that, you know, we talk about the power between their love. And I'm just curious to see where this develops, where the power of this love develops. That was my a little bit nerdy kind of. But like it, it's because the moment seems like that moment of him saying, I love you, it changed the course of it. And so I'm curious as to if we're going to see more uh more power in that so yeah yeah no that's interesting you definitely see a switch i mean immediately a a very powerful she lady's spell is broken Mm -hmm. so certainly there's something there you know their relationship being such as it is in this situation with her being half turned i don't know if we get a term for trying to think ahead even in my knowing the future but i'll certainly Mm -hmm. just say half vampire i guess or a Mm -hmm. partial vampire 
But in her given state, I don't know how much of a relationship they can have, right? And but obviously I she think there could be power between them. Oh, 100%. That, that was, that's my curiosity on that. And um, the other thing is I'm just very curious as to what's going to happen with Susan. That's why, yeah. obviously, I mean, that's, it's supposed to be, that's the cliffhanger. Like you got to. Oh yeah, out. no, absolutely. I wouldn't, end, I wouldn't have us end the tale if we didn't have a cliffhanger to end on this. Seriously, dear God. Uh, no, it's a very good question. And again, like one of those things where it's not unique to this story to have someone kind of between worlds. I mean, you get that freaking. We got to start wrapping it up. Okay. Um, you know, whether it's Angel and Spike or mm-hmm. Edward, or, you know, people who are kind of of one world, but still have a foot in the human world as well. So. Yeah, it's it's not unique, but it's certainly a cool take on it. Her kind of being a half vampire, and we'll definitely have to see how that relationship progresses, and you know how Harry yeah. bounced back out of it as well. It's very curious. It's a very curious kind of where we're at. We're in a very unstable place in the universe. Yeah, and it's a great way to again end a novel where there's so much, such a big question mark hanging over so many of the characters we we know and love. Do you have any other lore questions or thoughts? Not specific. I have a, I do have a crackbot theory, which is a reiteration of crackbot theory. Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> uh, and I have thoughts on what uh, the next novel and the cover tells me. All right, well, let's see. Let's move on to the next step here. Yikes. So, uh, Certainly a little bit less clean on the yikes front. What, um, do you have any thoughts there, Liz? Just really, Bob. I'd like to see the lining. Yeah. But that's, again, Bob. But I did like the, hey, cutie. And I really loved um, James Marster's reading of that. It was great. Also, I just, it's a very creative way to ask that question. <laughs> but it's Bob. He's had, he's had millennia to sort it out. I know, but just, oh, what's the lining like on that clothes? It's just so ridiculous. But yeah, no, definitely yikesy. And I mean, I think far worse than that. Because, again, I, I give Bob a, a little bit more rope than you do. But when Thomas sends Justine as a thank you letter and... Yeah. Thomas is a bit skeezy, though. Sure. But, again, Harry's reaction to it isn't, I took the note, but not the girl. Because, obviously, that's fucking gross. And not giving her agency as a human being. But he took the note and not the girl because... There's an ick factor sharing girls with a sex vampire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do appreciate that he said that. Well, I, I, the opposite. I think that's a disgusting reason to not. That's the worst possible reason to not take the gift. <laughs> like, well, but I thought, I thought, I liked that he said that though. That it's like because that was my thought. There's an ick factor. Sure, I, I mean, especially I, I, because I, Harry doesn't really have that bo- that boundary. Let's. Sure. I remember when we talked about the love potion and how I really had a problem with even Harry's reaction. Like, not Harry not thinking the love potion was fucked up. I, I thought his reaction was enough. I guess that's kind of what I see here. Okay. Is like the idea that he sent you a girl as a thank you present is pretty fucked up in and of itself, having yeah. nothing to do with sharing girls with it. Which again, like you know, like puts more uh, stress on like virginity and being clean and all. It's just, it's just not a good paragraph for me at all. I mean, Um, that whole interaction is creepy and gross, but it's not surprising in this, in this novel. Is that bad that I'm not surprised by it anymore? Well, that's fair. 
Um, although the tail end of that where he, he I do love the plenty of people have to take some kind of medication to keep stable. Lithium, supermodel sex vampires, whatever works. I do appreciate uh, that. That's pretty good. Um, but yeah, those are my only real yikesy issues. And I, I, I do think that one's pretty bad personally, but um, maybe I'm alone in that and that's okay too. Um, anything else that catch your eye? No, not really. Not that I can think of. All right. Let's, um, you got any quotes this week? Yes, I have several. I do too. I'm trying to narrow mine down as we go. Hopefully you pick some of these. I mean, I have have three. Go ahead. All right. So the first one, this is about Susan. It's, I let out a startled cry. It wasn't a hard bite. She'd bit me harder than that for fun, but she hadn't, (laughs) but she hadn't had eyes like that. Then her kisses hadn't made my skin go. Nar, not nar. Her kisses hadn't made my skin go narcotic numb then. She hadn't been halfway to membership in Club Vampire then. <laughs> Which makes me giggle. I don't, this one, it just, it's an, an entertaining image to me. And uh, the black slime-covered bat thing beneath the pleasant flesh mask tore its way out, shredding damply flapping skin at its talons as it started raking Kyle. It's the black slime-covered bat thing. I don't know why that was so entertaining to me, but I really enjoyed that. And finally, Kelly gets something of hers, too. She's scratching right? back. It's Kyle. And, Poor Kelly. You know, I have, there's the, there, I have one that's very uh, sappy. Is the, the way I see it, there's nothing else worth fighting a war for. Delete, delete, delete. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought uh, that was, but I don't, there, there, there are some moments in this where I, I had one more, but I'm like, okay, I'll only do three. I just enjoyed the, some of those moments. And it's just like, it's well, I really like that last one you had. I had the whole quote because oh. a, it's, I think it's a great, thought, great point. You know, it's the whole, what is, what is one person worth in the grand scheme of things? And this is, but the juxtaposition of him saying this kind of sappy, like, for one loved one, for one life, the way I see it, there's nothing else worth fighting for. While I called power to my blasting rod and its tip glowed incandescent white. <laughs> Just the juxtaposition of like, oh, love and beauty and there's wonderful things in the world and I'm going to fuck your shit up at the same time. I mean, that's pretty great. <laughs> you know? It was really good there. I also have a couple. Luckily, I have one fewer because Lissy did that, which is great. Do unto others before they do unto, unto you. I love that. It's great. We already, we already read it, but um, I'm not a philosopher, Harry, but there's something for you to think about at least. What goes around comes around, and sometimes you get what's coming around. And sometimes you are what's coming around. That's great. Yeah. Fact that that comes from Michael yeah. means so much to Harry. Mm-hmm. Kind of justify where he's at, and so like that for that reason, it means that much to me. You know that. Yeah. That if Thomas could have said that exact same quote, and Harry would have felt worse. But co- coming from Michael in particular, it just means so much. And then <laughs> he did not love. 2022 personally it was a uh although we did see the impetus behind we didn't record our first episode but the impetus behind the podcast was on fire and it wasn't my fault um the idea grew into a spark (laughs) but uh 
friends to make it easier. I do like that. Very, very true. So that's where I'm at on quotes. We got, do you have a crackpot theory of the week in the micro? Okay. The macro, I guess. Not specific to next week's book, but. No. So I, have a, I do have a crackpot theory. Yeah, what do you got? It's very important. I still believe this has just been reiterated in the last chapter of this book. Mr. Mr. Something else. Mr.'s not just a cat. Well, he is he certainly is something else. He's the cutest. He's not just a cat. I think he's there's we 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 have there's more to come from from Mr. is my crackpot theory. We've got more going there. He's gonna have his own uh storyline. His own spin-off series. But Why yeah. wouldn't he? Exactly. Um, we started doing this with Great Peril. Again, this is a great idea. This was Dragon Fett, uh, who came up with this idea, but helping us out to have Lissy look ahead at the next book and the, whether it's the, the book cover, the audiobook cover, and try to give us, and the title, and try to give us an idea what she thinks we're up about. What do you got? All right. So the next book is called Summer Night. The cover that I see is mostly yellow. It's got two gargoyles and it's got O'Hara character between. And in my, into my, you know, my wisdom here, uh, I have a feeling that this is obviously going to have a lot to do with um, Michael because he is our knight. Okay. And ooh, that's a different one. There's going to be some sort of battle. Was my idea with the gargoyles because this is the, look at this is the one I have, Joshy. Okay. Take a look at this one. It, well, that's obvious. I, I mean, that's you've got the two gargoyles here with Harry in the middle, and you've got two uh, an angel, two angels there, basically. So obviously, there's going to be some sort of battle. There is. Okay. Okay. Good. That's my and and that Michael's going to play a big part in that. And that one of them looks like they got a sword, so we got Amarakis. So there we go. Summer night. Obviously, it's going to be taking place in the summertime, and uh, we're going to have a lot of uh, shit going down with Michael. Going to be battle, more more the battle between good and evil. Always is battle between good and evil coming. Yep. Up All good right, stuff. good stuff. Good stuff. Um, I think that's all we got, right? Do we have any other steps? Do we have any other things that we do in this podcast? <laughs> I don't think so. I think we're good, but we just need to know how many chapters are we going to be going into next week. Oh, that's a very good. Point. Let's see. I borrowed both books from San Francisco Public Library <laughs> just now. Boom. Alrighty. Alrighty. So we're going to do five chapters next week of Summer Night. That is four. And yeah, we'll go chapters one to five. Ends in a little bit of a good cliffhanger. Um, mostly just a good one-liner there. And we'll see what we got. So thank you guys so much for sticking with us. Again, every week it's just a couple more uh, people listening, which is really cool. And keep sharing the good news. Um, no, we appreciate you. Again, this is the first time we've ever recorded in the same bat place at the same black bat time. Um, but we are very delighted. I love having you. I love that Lissy was here in my uh, studio <laughs> to uh, get this going. But um, yeah, no, thank you guys so much for making this a thing and for listening and giving me a reason to keep bugging my sister about a cool book series. And uh, beyond that, you got any parting thoughts here, Liss? No, I just thanks for thanks for listening to us, and uh, it's so exciting seeing all the downloads and everybody all over. 
the world, really. People all over the world are listening to us, and that's pretty exciting. I think we're up to 25 different countries. It's like super ridiculous. So pretty sweet. Really cool stuff. Um, I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. I have been Josh. And I am Alyssa. The podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. Podcast music. And I really hope people who have listened to this podcast have watched Ski Patrol and the data people on, I think it was Showtime uh, or HBO Max or whatever it was on, the data people are very confused as to why there was a tick up, even if it's 15, 20 people watching that goddamn movie. <laughs> um, I just, I love screwing with the, with data. <laughs> I'm, th- I'm thinking of like yeah. the, the little guy, you know, they wake him up in the elf house. And, uh-huh. uh, yeah. Like gets a check in the mail for like seventeen dollars. Like what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> His residual check. Yeah. He actually passed away this year. He actually oh. passed away this year. Well, then now I hope his wife got a check. Um, he didn't have a wife. Um, well, then I no. hope it, I hope his hetero long term long time male companion. Who is it? Leslie Jordan is his name. I forgot he was in that movie until that's a name I that's very familiar. I started watching the movie and I, and I, I was like, oh. uh, but yeah. <laughs> oh, he was born on April 29th. Day before me.